Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode Blackjack of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 21 of our podcast on Bible quizzing called Inside Quizzing, Scott and I are going to predominantly spend our time talking about a new question type. Uh, well, new for this upcoming quizzing season. Uh, we haven't had it last season, but we had it the season before. Uh, and that is the famous or infamous situation question. We're gonna, we've got so many different aspects to talk about. We're going to probably not be able to get through everything. We're, we're going to call this a situation questions workshop. So we'll do part one today, and then we'll do part two in the next episode. Uh, but we'll go through and talk about what is a situation question, what are the rules behind them, uh, what are some strategies uh, behind how to craft them and write them as an official, or how to ask them as a quiz master, how to answer them as a quizzer, and uh, how to rule on them if you're an answer judge and so forth. And uh, we'll see how far down the list of topics related to situation questions we can go. But before that, we have quite a few announcements. Well, not quite a few. We have a handful of announcements to go through. Uh, the first of which is that the Scramble Meet is coming up. It is coming up in just a little bit less than four weeks uh, from now. It's going to start on Saturday, September 15th. It's going to be hosted at Alliance Bible Church in Covington, which is uh, Scott's church. And if you have not registered already, please do so. And Scott, everybody should have access to the registration form, right? Absolutely. It's open to all of our program leaders and coaches. And if you don't know how to get to it, just ask someone and they'll help you out. Excellent. And uh, of course, if you have any questions about registration or the scramble meet, you can email Scott or myself or IQ at cbqz.org or any number of the other program leaders. And we would all be very much interested in helping you out. Uh, in terms of the meet itself, uh, Scott, kind of walk us through, like, what's the shape of the meet look like uh, in terms of, I mean, it's a one-day meet only, so when should people start arriving, and what sort of things should they expect uh, if they're attending? Let me jump back one topic onto registration. So for our normal meets, there's a registration deadline two weeks before the meet starts. For the scramble meet, there is no such deadline. Um, now, that doesn't mean you can just not register. We would love for you to register far in advance, especially if you want lunch. But this is kind of a different meet in that if you have a quizzer who just randomly says, yeah, I want to come to the meet and shows up the day of, we'll totally let them quiz. We want this to be a super fun, really, really inclusive meet. You know, none of the averages count. And so that is allowable. But if you do know about quizzers that are coming ahead of time, you're going to make life way, way easier on uh, people like me and other people running the meet by registering them in advance. Um, but as far as the meet, we're going to split the kids into um, a junior division and a senior division, and um, coaches kind of get to decide which division would be best suited for their quizzers. And then once they're in those divisions, they get scrambled up so, so that they're on teams with quizzers from different churches, and they get to know each other, and then they quiz, generally two to three quizzes per team. Um, and then I try to have them quiz across all the different rooms in the meet so that all of our rookies get to at least have a quiz with um, a handful of our quiz masters and kind of start to get to know them. Um, but it's just a really fun meet where nothing counts and you quiz within your own kind of brackets and none of the wide-eyed rookies um, get dusted by our six-year veterans, which is... Um, 
wouldn't be the greatest introduction to quizzing, and so we kind of ease them into it. And I really like what the scramble meet has become. Fantastic. So when uh, when should folks uh, typically plan on arriving? I would say by 9 a.m., if not earlier. We always would love help setting up. And because this is the scramble meet, things are a little bit more informal. So we may not have our normal cast of scorekeepers and answer judges that we usually do. And so all coaches, or really all adults, need to be um, kind of prepared and on the lookout for when a certain room might need a scorekeeper for a quiz or two and just kind of jump in and help out. We're going to have quiz mastering covered across the rooms, but there will probably be times where there's no scorekeeper assigned to a room and a, and a coach just needs to jump in and help out. But I would say arriving by 9 a.m. Um, would be great. And sometime within the next couple weeks, there will be the official schedule going out, and that schedule will have the structure of the meet. So it will be like when to arrive, when is worship, when is devotions, when are the workshops, um, when is lunch, when is the meet end, what are the workshop titles, but it won't have the specific rosters and teams and when those teams are quizzing because all of that gets generated the morning of after I find out who all has arrived because this might be a shocker or not a shocker, but if you have 90 quizzers register, it's very rare for all 90 to end up showing up to the meet. And so if only 84 of those 90 show up to the meet, I only want to generate enough teams to house those 90 quizzers on four-person teams um, because the fewer teams there are, the more times each team can quiz rather than having more teams of three or two people on them. So I wait until I see who shows up, then I can generate the teams and the schedule, and that will get printed morning of, and it'll be surreptitiously handed out to all of the adults at some point in the morning. Fantastic. Now, if you happen to have any interest in learning how to scorekeep, uh, the Scramble Meet is a great opportunity to come and learn. It's a great opportunity both to, you know, sit at a table and watch another scorekeeper scorekeep and learn the ropes that way because the scoring, you know, like Scott said, it doesn't really matter. We're doing this for fun. Uh, and then it's a really a great opportunity because then after you feel comfortable learning how to scorekeep, you can actually have an opportunity to be a scorekeeper uh, for a particular quiz. The same goes for answer judging. If you happen to have read through the rule book or if you are a uh, retired uh, quizzer, uh, or if you happen to know of a retired quizzer and you want to bug them and say, hey, you know, why don't you go visit the scramble meet? We would very much love to fill up the uh, answer judge roster with folks who are interested in kind of be getting into officiating uh, in one degree or another. If you're interested in being a quiz master, either this year or next year or in some years in the future, and you happen to be in the neighborhood uh, on September 15th, uh, please stop by. We'd love to uh, poke you and grab you and move you into one of the answer judge locations and, and pair you up with a quiz master and kind of get you uh, plugged into the program in that way. Uh, if you aren't a quizzer right now and you've heard of Bible quizzing and you're kind of like, oh, this sounds interesting. I have no idea what this is about, but it's kind of interesting. Maybe I'd like to participate, but I don't have anybody in my church that wants to come with me. I suppose you could, you could just you know, as a free agent, you could just show up on September 15th, right, Scott? We'd, we'd try to plug you in somewhere, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, both for quizzers and for people wanting to help out as an official, you don't have to have other people from your church come in. We'll, we will plug you in somewhere. 
Yeah. So whatever kind of role you want to take on or set of roles, or if you've never really even seen quizzing, but you're kind of like, yeah, I kind of want to participate in this. Uh, you, If you want to be a quizzer, uh, I recommend memorizing the first couple of chapters of John, uh, the latest version of NIV. Uh, that'll help you out, you know, obviously in your actual quizzing itself. But other than that, uh, just show up and uh, we'll get you plugged into a team and it's a great learning experience. It's a lot of fun. And there's also going to be a lot of workshops that, uh, you know, Scott alluded to where you get to learn various stuff and things, both as a quizzer, but also we've got workshops for coaches and officials as well. So Cuddy is going to be doing her famous or perhaps infamous uh, rookie quizzer workshop. So if you've never been a quizzer before, this is your first year. Uh, or if you are thinking that this might be your first year and you haven't even made a decision yet, I, I really encourage you to partake of Cuddy's wisdom. Uh, Cuddy is a fantastic quiz master. She was a fantastic quizzer and she's a fantastic person. And she really does. She goes out of her way to make uh, rookie quizzers really feel welcome and, and encouraged and kind of understanding what's going on in this crazy thing called Bible quizzing. So it's a wonderful uh, workshop to participate in. Uh, I'm going to be doing a uh, CBQZ app uh, demo or showing off the various latest features and kind of walking through the, the application. Uh, this is more targeted for coaches and officials. So if you're a coach of a, of a team uh, from a church and you want to learn how to use CPQZ a little bit more effectively, if you want to learn how to write questions very quickly, you can, you can actually get uh, question writing down very, very quickly, writing good quality questions in just a second or two, maybe two, eh, two to four seconds, depending on the type of the question. You can go very, very quickly through writing some very good questions because of the tools that are part of the app. But then even if you don't write your own question set, uh, using some other question set, how do you generate quizzes? How do you run those quizzes? How do you keep, uh, keep score uh, through the application? I'm going to be covering all of that stuff in the workshop. And there's going to be other workshops as well. Um, but Scott, do you have any idea what some of those might be? I don't know what they will be for sure, but they're generally kind of a contrast to the rookie workshops that Cuddy runs. So they'll either be on captaining and challenging or how to answer reference questions or how to make study lists or something else that kind of appeals to our more experienced quizzers. And that'll be happening at the same time as each of Cuddy's two workshops. There'll be one or two um, workshops more targeted for the experienced quizzers. Fantastic. So there really is something for everyone at every level, whether you've just barely heard of quizzing and you have no idea what's going on and you just want to find out a little bit more information all the way to you're returning from internationals and you want to get a little bit even even deeper and better than where you were at internationals uh, this last year and everywhere in between. Uh, if you're a coach, an official, a wannabe coach, a wannabe official, uh, please come if you are a parent and you're, you've heard of this quizzing thing, uh, but you're not really sure what it's about. You're not really sure if you want to have your kid involved in it. Uh, please show up and ask questions, and uh, we would love to be able to introduce you uh, to what Bible quizzing is all about and really just demonstrate why it is so awesome in in all of the, of the various different ways. So let's see, like I said, it was, it's coming up in less than four weeks, uh, Saturday, September 15th, ABC in Covington, Washington, so not very far away. Um, Scott, anything else you can think of that we should talk about with regard to the uh, scramble meet? I can't think of anything. All right. Well, a couple of other quick announcements. 
One is that, uh, speaking of CBQZ, I did release a new version of it today. I launched version uh, 15.6.2, which sounds really fancy, but basically it just included some improved uh, question writing and question set management functionality. And it also included some stronger questions, importing capabilities. Uh, Scott and uh, I think it was a district coordinator from another uh, program were trying to import uh, some question sets and they were uh, throwing some odd errors and so forth. So a lot of that stuff has been uh, cleaned up in 15.6.2, launched today. Uh, and of course, anybody who's interested in using the app, you don't have to wait for the workshop at Scramble. Uh, you can go ahead and just go to cbqz.org slash app and you can sign up for an account right now. It's totally fine. Uh, in fact, if you went to do that now prior to the Scramble meet, and then showed up at the Scramble Meet with a laptop, you could actually be playing around with the functionality that I'm demoing in the workshop at Scramble at the same time. So that'll be kind of useful. Uh, and one final announcement. Uh, in about two weeks, we are going to restart the chapter in review segment on Inside Quizzing. Longtime listeners of Inside Quizzing will remember that last year when we started... Uh, Scott and I would pick up the uh, the chapter or two that were currently uh, on the docket or on the schedule to be memorized for that particular week, and we would review the chapter in some level of detail, uh, kind of going over highlights of the, the the chapter, word phrasings, or that were you might want to take a closer look at, or ideas for multiple answer questions, or other sorts of question types that you might want to you know take advantage of in that particular. Uh, context of the chapter. We're going to be restarting that in a couple of weeks, so stay tuned for that. All right, uh, Scott, any announcements you can think of that I've missed? Can't think of anything. I think we're on to situation questions. All righty. Well, situation questions. So I figured the first thing that we would do with situation questions is I should probably explain what they are uh, by maybe doing an example situation question. So I'm going to do a, an example situation question, and Scott did does not know why I'm doing this, but I'm just going to tell him here. We're improving, right? Uh, so, Scott, you're, you'll, you'll be the quizzer. I'll be the quiz master. I'm going to ask you a situation question, and then we'll sort of explain what it is that we did. So, you know, question number one is a situation question. I need to know who said it. Who said it? Question number one, question, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Jump. And Scott. Are you allowed to say quotas complete at this point, Griffin? That's actually a very interesting question. I typically don't. Am I required to? I should probably know this. Yeah, because we, we, it's either most Quizmaster prompts are now either required or kind of forbidden. So um, we'll just skip that for now, but we'll track that down. Um, so let's see. I'll quote the verse. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And your answer? Um, you would prompt me to clarify they. I oh, that is a good point. Clarify your pronoun. All right. No, I can't say that. Clarify. Wow, they, I'm out of practice. Clarify they. They, they, they. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. You are correct. All right, so we kind of bungled that a little bit because we were talking a little bit meta on it. But essentially, the pattern remains 
uh, as we demonstrated. So a quiz master will call the question and call the question type of a situation question. And then before beginning the question, so like normally you'll say like question number one is a standard question, although you don't have to say standard question. Uh, question number one, question. At that point, the recitation of the question is beginning. Uh, situation questions are different. In prior to beginning the recitation of the actual question, which is basically the quote of a situation question, I will, I will present information. Uh, I will, I will say, what, what do I want? Who said it? Uh, to whom was it said? When was it said? Uh, how was it said? You know, these kinds of things. Uh, those are all sort of questions that I can pose prior or, or label as, as the answer that I'm looking or answers that I'm looking for prior to starting the quote. Then I will call the question. So question number one, question, and then I will start reciting the quote. You don't have to wait for the quote to finish. Um, certainly the moment that you have recognition, jump. Uh, the moment that you have clarity on, on where this is, go ahead and jump. You will need to finish the quote. And then you'll need to provide the answer that I was looking for. So in the context that, that, uh, of the example situation question, we were in John chapter one, verse 22, and I asked who said it. And so, uh, at the end of that, uh, or in the process of providing the answer, uh, Scott did a very smart thing, a very wise thing that I very much recommend that you do, which was he just started at the beginning of the verse. Instead of quoting the quote, he started at the beginning of the verse and just quoted the entire verse, which included basically the answer. The answer is they, but that's too vague. Um, so then I, as the quiz master, will say clarify they. It used to be clarify your pronoun, which sounds really hoity-toity. I guess now it's just clarify they. And then that's where Scott walked into the context and moved back a little bit from John one twenty two into John one nineteen to get to priests and Levites, and that answered the question. So at a high level, that's a situation question. But Scott, any sort of stuff you want to add there before we move on? No, not really. I did look up in the rule book, and the quizmaster is required to say quote is complete um, when the quizzer has finished everything about the quotation. Excellent. Quote is complete. So essentially, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Quote is complete. And at that point, if nobody has jumped, it's usually a pretty safe uh, uh, jump at that point, a fairly easy thing to to jump and be able to provide an answer. A lot of this stuff, even just some basic level memorization, will be able to give you an answer for this. So this is where a situation question, this is a little bit of strategy. We're jumping ahead here, but uh, situation questions have a, 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 a hugely variant degree of difficulty because if you jump on who are you, it's very difficult. And in fact, it's not even key yet. Uh, if you jump on who, uh, who are you give, it becomes key. But again, you have to finish the quote. Uh, if you wait till the end of the quote, the rest of the answer is actually quite easy. So the situations have this wide range of, of difficulty level, depending upon when the jump uh, takes place. And, and sorry, go ahead. And, and the request, because the quiz master is required to say quote is complete when the quizzer has gotten the quote correct, um, that can be a big hint to a quizzer. So if you jump and you say, who are you? Give us an answer. And the quiz master says more. Um, you can know that it's more on the quote because the quiz master hasn't said quote is complete yet. And if you go um, give us an answer, take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Um, and the quiz master says quote is complete. 
and then you maybe go a verse back and say, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. Well, at that point, the quiz master might say more, and you know it's not more on the quote. You've done that, and you're, you're correct on the quote. So it has to be more about the answer to the situation questions. And so it kind of it can narrow it down um, depending on what kind of part of the question you're in. Yes, absolutely. All right, well, Scott, do you want to walk us through the textbook rule definitions for situation questions? Yeah, and we're going to go pretty quickly here because um, we're going to hit a lot of these rules as we discuss some specifics later. But the first one is used only when narrative material is available. So the four years of material are John, Luke, Matthew, and Acts because um, those are the four narrative years in the quizzing material. Second rule is must be a direct quotation from Scripture by a person or an entity. Um, so we'll get into that, um, cause there's lots of discussion about what is a direct quotation. I had to pause cause my dog is whining. All right. Back to number three, the quotation required by the quizzer, by the question writer must be reasonable in length, not exceeding two consecutive verses. And the quizzer is not required to repeat the quotation word perfect, but must be substantially close without leaving out key components of the quotation. So two things there is if a quotation starts in verse one and goes through verse 10, um, the question writer can only require the quotes, the parts of the quote from verses 1 and 2 um, in their question. They can't require seven verses. And this is just kind of meant to be empathetic to the quizzer and not have something be too long. And then also the quizzer doesn't have to get the quotation word perfect necessarily. So it's kind of treated like an interrogative or a multiple answer question. Um, so just like those, unique words are required, but word perfect is not required. Um, situation questions ask for who said it, to whom, how, why, when, where, or about whom. Um, and that's all told to the quizzers before the question starts. So question five is a situation question. I need to know who said it and about whom was it. Um, and only up to three of those can be asked. So there might be a particular quotation where the text identifies who said it, how they said it, to whom they said it, when they said it, and where they said it. But the question writer only gets to ask you up to three. And again, that's meant to not have a seven-verse quotation with six um, situation questions asked of a quizzer for one correct question. Um, just trying to limit the difficulty somewhat. The answer to, to the situation question must be in context. I think this is a little bit ambiguously worded, but we'll get to that. Basically, if I'm asking you who said it, who said this quotation, if that who is more than five verses away... I can't, that's not a valid question. It's got to be within five verses, just kind of like any other question. If there's an answer to an interrogative that's he, and I'm making you clarify that pronoun he, it's got to be within context. And that's just kind of the same principle here in situation questions. And then point seven is a situation question can combine two separate quotations as long as no words are added and the two quotes flow easily to one another. And the example comes from Matthew. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So in this one, it'll be who said it, and the quotation as read by the quizmaster will be, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. This is the only time in quizzing when the quizmaster reads text um, that is not verbatim from the material. So in this one, when they read the quotation, they're skipping the Jesus said because that's not part of the quotation, and they're kind of stitching together the two parts that Jesus said into one quotation. Um, the only times you will see this happen um, are if it's a quotation spoken by one person. If you're changing people, that quotation will never be stitched together. And those are the seven. How do you do, Griffin? I think it's great. Um, so yeah, where do you, where do we go from here? 
Well, let's start. We had a great question from Andrew, which is, right now, the quotation is not required to be quoted word perfect by the quizzer. So we've got our key verse questions. We've got quotes and finish the verses that have to be word perfect. We've got other questions, reference questions, interrogatives, and multiple answers that don't have to be word perfect. And situation questions also fall into that not word perfect category. So the question was posed, do we think this is good? Would we rather have situation questions be required to be a word perfect? What do you think, Griffin? Well, I'm of three different minds on this one. So I think at the, uh, so, so a couple of things at the internationals level. Yes. I think they should be required to be word perfect, which is a change. And because right now, like you said, they're not required to be word perfect. The reason being that at the internationals level, pretty much everybody ought to be able to quote everything word perfect, just fine. They, we would have to employ some sort of, you know, full rotation rule, just like we do with like quotes and finish the verses and so forth. Where like, if you, especially if you had like a stitched together quotation, if you kind of got messed up a little bit or, or you said, come follow me, Jesus said, and I, and then we said, well, you have to quote it full rotation through by and drop the Jesus said, or, you know, we'd have more, maybe you can include that or whatever. Um, we'd have to clarify some of that around there, but I think the level of quizzing at internationals is high enough and sharp enough and tight enough competitionally that you need something of a higher degree of difficulty that, that word perfect situation quoting would bring to sort of help stratificate out the upper levels of, of quizzing at the district level. I very much am opposed to the idea of making it word perfect. I think it would basically become a question type that very few people would answer. Uh, you know, call them, uh, good quizzers, but not necessarily top five or top 10 quizzers, uh, might be, uh, the folks who specialize in, uh, key verse list questions. They're, they're specializing in, in quotes and finish the verses and so forth. Uh, and it, and there's a lot of effort and a lot of, of brain power that goes into that level of special, uh, specialization, a lot of prep work, uh, that goes into it. I would submit that being prepared in a same way at word perfect level for situation questions is equal to that or higher. And so for me, it, it removes an opportunity for mid-level quizzers and rookie quizzers to be able to, you know, get a couple of questions uh, in a quiz because it, it kind of shifts more toward the upper harder end of questions at the district level meet. And I want to, I want to make sure that even though we want to encourage uh, the folks in our district who are very good and put in a lot of time and we want to give them opportunities to be able to express how good they are uh, at district meets. I want to make sure that folks who are entering the world of quizzing for the first time, you know, if it's their rookie year or it's their second year coming in and they're just kind of just getting the hang of things. I don't want them to feel disillusioned by so much of a quiz being beyond their reach uh, because of, of the way that we've structured the rules. Um, now, in terms of Great West, I have no idea. Um, that's that's where my third mindset comes in. I am very much on the fence on that one, and I probably could be swayed either way. Yeah, I think at the district level, not requiring word perfect is a good thing. I It's pretty much every narrative year. At the scramble meet, you see rookies jump on a situation question, get a verse, verse and a half worth of quotation correct, and then when the quizmaster says quote is complete, and then they need more, you can just see, you know, you know, they, they usually run out of time, and they've said nothing wrong. They've they've gotten a, given a ton of correct material, 
but there are just some situation questions that have a lot of quotation and then sometimes require the quizzers to go back a verse or two to find who said it or how is it said that do, does make them tough. And so I, I kind of like not having them be word perfect. And then at internationals, I'm always, I'm always for more of a test, right? Um, but I probably wouldn't like to see them made word perfect, um, even though as I think about jumping speed, the jumping speed on situation questions is currently right with finish the verses. You know, it's right at a syllable, syllable and a half. Um, and requiring them to be word perfect would slow the pace down a tad and reward quizzers that have that rock solid knowledge of the material, which is kind of how we're trending by going to assign seat bonuses and upping the number of finish and quote questions in a quiz. But I think, a lot of quotations contain a lot of those connecting type words like then, if, so, and, but um, that just might be a, a little bit too extreme to require to be word perfect, I think. Even at internationals? I think so. I, You know, I don't know if in the long run everything comes towards the center, but, you know, I've always wanted tougher and tougher questions at internationals, but I think there's definitely some value to not having it be too, too difficult because the competitive aspect makes it fun and I think makes it a lot more attractive than something like a quoting bee would, even though that would specifically reward the quizzer and districts who knew the material the best. Um, and so there's always a balance to be struck. I think right now, I mean, the quality of the questions has definitely increased in the last couple of years where there's a mix of easy and hard and there's not really as predictable trends in the questions being asked. And so I do see a lot of reward given to teams that are disciplined and have studied well. And um, I think WordPerfect on situation questions might remove a little bit, little bit of fun, even if it um, provides an iota more reward to the quizzers with rock-solid knowledge and material. Yeah, it makes sense to me. So our next, next bit is clarifying pronouns. So... The question I have is, does the clarification of a pronoun need to be within context of the pronoun, of the beginning of the quotation, of the end of the quotation? Um, I really don't know. So, you know, if, if my quotation starts in verse 10 um, and the he said it part is in verse 9, can I go back to verse 4 to clarify that he? Um, or if it's in verse 9, could I go to verse 14 to clarify the he? Um most often, like, when we're trying to judge whether a quizzer is in context or out of context, we're pretty liberal. So we kind of give them the, the verse they're currently in plus five, either direction. So it's not five inclusive of the verse they're in. So in this case, I mean, it's not uncommon to have the pronoun that answers a situation question and the quotation of the situation question be in different verses. And I'm not really sure which to base the five verses of context on. Um, because the quotation is the question part of it, but it would make more sense to me that the five verses from the pronoun that needs to be clarified. What do you think, Griffin? Yeah, um, I tend to think, I, I, similar to how we would say, you know, if you're answering a question at, uh, you know, one particular verse, we don't include that verse when we're counting context, when we would go in a, you know, plus five and negative five, not including the verse that you happen to be in. Similarly, I sort of look at the context of, of the situation question as including uh, plus or minus uh, five from both ends of the quote and from the 
uh, pronoun that needs to be clarified. And so it's, it's a pretty big set of context there. So, I mean, especially if you're talking about a quote that spans two verses and maybe the antecedent pronoun is a verse above the beginning verse uh, of the quotation, uh, that can be a pretty substantial range of verses. But I tend to be okay with that as being a, a, a wider set of context, because, you know, if I'm saying, well, what is the context for they? Really, if you are minus five from a they that precedes or is in a verse that precedes the beginning of the quote of the next verse or something like that, I would say like, yeah, if you're, you know, four or five verses above that they, I think I can't really call you out of context. I, I've given you a more difficult situation question. I think it's reasonable for you to be, you know, three, four, five verses above that, as long as you're not beyond that. Now, as a question writer, I, I take a, a, a sort of the opposite view as I would in, in, as a quiz master. In quiz master, I'm sort of thinking what's the widest possible context uh, to, to allow the quizzer to remain uh, able to answer the question correctly. As a, as a question writer, I'm sort of looking at this going, well, eventually the delta between the antecedent and the pronoun is so great that it becomes, even though it may be technically within context, it's so ridiculous that I, it, it almost feels like I'm trying to trick the quizzer as a writer. Uh, and I don't want to do that. I want to write a clear, unambiguous questions that, you know, I, I, I want a quizzer, if a quizzer gets a question incorrect, and then after the quiz is asking me a question about the, uh, the question, and is reading the question and reading the material next to it, uh, has kind of the, oh, I get it now moment, rather than, wow, I don't, I'm confused, I don't understand what that is, right? Um, so, for me, I tend to, as a writer, I tend to, not officially, but I tend to want the context. I, I want a sort of an emotional state of wanting the context to be tight. Uh, but as a quiz master, I'll have a much wider context. Does that make, make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And I think this shows kind of the split that I feel on situation questions, because I think they're a super fun question for the quizzer. But I just struggle so much as both a quiz master and a question writer, because there is this kind of ambiguity. So... It's nice that as a question writer, I can say, well, the quotation is in verse 10, and the, the answer he is in verse 8, and the clarification of he is in verse 3, so I probably can make an argument of why this is valid, but I just don't think it's good, and I won't write it, right? So I can make that determination as a question writer just fine. But when it comes to a quiz master, I want there to be objective truth that I can rule on for something like, like context, five verses above or you know below. And that's where I kind of have problems here, because it's not clear where that context is defined from. And I always want to be more lenient in the favor of the quizzer, if, if possible. But um, it's entirely possible that different quiz masters rule different ways on the exact same um, situation question in different rooms through nobody's fault. And that's not a potential scenario that I like, even if um, it's almost unlikely to ever happen, you know? Right, absolutely. Any, I mean, quizmasters, ideally, we should all be ruling exactly the same way in every situation. So that's clarifying pronouns. So another thing we talked about is can only go for two verses. So if you start in verse, if the quotation starts in verse one, you can only require through verse two, even if the quotation happens to continue on. Um, and there are many times where Jesus just kind of goes on a roll 
talking, where verse 1 introduces Jesus said to his disciples, and then he goes on for 10 verses or 15 verses, or um, there's the Sermon on the Mount, right? And so do you like this rule, Griffin? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious why it was written, but there are cases of Jesus saying something, and like in the Beatitudes, and once you hit two verses into that quotation, none of them are valid for situation questions. And even though we can test that material um, for interrogative questions, it's just not valid currently for situation questions. What do you think of that? I, I like the rule. I mean, it certainly ends up kind of being really awkward, uh, you know, especially if you are memorizing material and you're memorizing Beatitudes word perfect and references, maybe your reference memorization is a little bit on the weaker side. Uh, you'll, you'll finish the quote and keep going and you'll be completely word perfect. And there'll be a lot of absolutely wonderful material that you'll be reciting there. Uh, and that can be a little bit confusing where the quiz master interjects quote is complete, you know, kind of stuff. Uh, that's a little bit. I, I would sense that that would be a little bit weird, a little bit off-putting, I think, uh, for a quizzer who's not expecting it. But I think the rule is important so that we don't end up uh, writing really ridiculous uh, situation questions. I think, I think you know, certainly a, a question writer is always going to be attempting or should always be attempting to not like pull a fast one over on a quizzer, trying to write good quality questions, you know, that kind of thing, uh, to test the material, but not being, you know, ridiculously egregiously difficult, uh, or, or confusing or something like that. And basically the idea being that if a quizzer has truly memorized the material, they should be able to answer the question if they have enough information recited from the quiz master to allow them to get a uh, key to the, to, to the right location. The question should be answerable. Uh, and so I, I tend to like this rule because of that. So it leads me to another um, point that I didn't, didn't spell out here yet, is um, situation questions must start at the beginning of a quotation or the beginning of a sentence within the quotation. So again, we'll use Jesus as an example. There are many times where he goes on for multiple verses and there are many sentences. And so any sentence within that quotation, as long as it's um, within the first two verses of the quotation, um, are technically valid to start a quotation, a situation question from. Um, and I've come across question writers who will write all of them. So if there's eight different sentences within the same quotation and they're all within the first two verses, each one of them is the basis for the start of a situation question. Now, when I'm writing them, I say, does it make sense to split up the quotation here? There are times where Jesus kind of switches thoughts between verse 1 and verse 2 or something like that, and I'll write a separate situation question based on the quotation just from verse 2, um, and a different one maybe just on verse 1, or a different one with verses 1 and 2. Um, but if it doesn't make sense, like if um, verse 2 is just purely a continuation of the sentence from verse 1, I would never write it um, on its own starting there. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I tend to be the same uh, as you on this. I, I I don't know that I would say I would never do it, but I certainly would very rarely do it. Uh, and even if I were to do it, uh, I would need to make sure that the the answer was within context or, you know, the, the pronoun was within context and then the antecedent for that was within context of the pronoun, that, that's, that sort of stuff. So, I mean, it can't necessarily be, you know, a metric ton of, you know, beatitudes and then linking it all the way back to Jesus said, you know, kind of stuff, because even though everybody knows, oh, yeah, it's a beatitude, Jesus said this. 
uh, still have to be uh, properly handcuffed by the rules to to bring those two uh, closer together. I don't know that I would say that I would never do it, but but certainly it would be very rare that I would write a situation question like what you described, and I'd have to have a really good reason. Like I felt like it was just the best way to to exercise that area of the material for some reason. Sure, I agree. We talked about split quotations, so that come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. The quiz master will read just the quotation part of it. Come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Skipping the Jesus said that breaks up that quotation. Um, I believe there's a time where Mary, you know, Mary looks at the angel, so it's like, sir, Mary said, um, I am afraid, or something like that. Um, And that will, the things Mary said will be read as a complete quote, um... And that was something that I hadn't thought about. I was actually just writing them um, verbatim from the material. And so I would have read it, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people as the reading of the quotation. But it makes sense to me why you cut out the part that's not part of the quotation. Um, But it is um, a good idea to take note of this because this is the only time that non-contiguous material will be read as contiguous by the quiz master. There's no other case of that happening as far as I can, I can think. Um, so then the other thing is number of potential situation questions. So, Oh, did you want to jump in Griffin? Actually quick question on the, the splits before. So talking about Matthew four nineteen specifically, if I were to ask the question, who said it? And so, so let, let me back up a little bit. So the quiz master should not say Jesus said, should skip over Jesus said, and just read the quote, come follow me and I will send you out so on and so forth, right? Um, but as a as a quizzer, if uh, I start the question and let's say "come follow" is a two word key phrase, let's say it, it, it becomes the, the the quote becomes key at that point, and you jump as a quizzer, and the quizzer uh, recites uh, "come follow me," Jesus said, and I and actually inserts the Jesus said. That's perfectly valid. There's no, there's nothing that the, the quiz master, or sorry, the, the quizzer is not prohibited from just quoting the, the verse with the information in it. It's the quiz master who shouldn't include the Jesus said. But here's kind of the interesting bit. Uh, if, so it's not a he said with Jesus being the antecedent of the pronoun, say from a verse before, it's Jesus right in verse 19. So if a quizzer just started quoting, come follow me, Jesus said, and then finished out the end of the quotation, the quiz master would call them immediately correct at the end of the quotation, right? They would. Yeah. So, I mean, as a quizzer, it, it just makes things a little bit easier on you. Yep. Now, I would encourage, it kind of depends on your experience level. So for our best quizzers, it is smart, smarter to quote only the quotation part, so that if you happen to mess up on something and get an again or more, you know it's the quotation part. Whereas if you quoted this, and instead of Jesus said in the middle, it's like the chief priests and uh, the Levites in the courtyard, and you messed up something there, well, the quiz master is just going to say again when you get to the end of the verse, and you may not know if it's in the quotation part or the answer to the situation part, but for pretty much all other quizzers, it's smart just to quote the verse. There's almost never going to be a situation where quoting the verse is a worse <laughs> strategy of answering a question. Yeah, generally speaking, yeah. All right, sorry. Yeah, so anyway, you were saying the number of potential situation questions. So there's a maximum of three, but if there's greater than one the question writer is not required to ask greater than one. They could just write one. Similarly, or kind of conversely, 
if there's greater than three, um, the question writer gets to decide which mix of the three to choose. So they could technically write like a who said it, how and when on on a quote, um, on a given quotation. Um, but they could also ask a who said it, how and where on the exact same quotation. And those would be two separate questions in the question set. They could also write it as merely a who said it. And to me, I... I always try to include whatever good situation questions I thought were present for a quotation in the question. If there's a good who said it and how, they're both going to be there. You'll never see that quotation asked by me with just how is it said or just who is it said because in my head, quizzers are preparing for those mixes and they would be thrown off if a quotation that has a good how or a good who doesn't include it. Yeah, very much agreed. And I do the same thing. I, I would even go so far as to say that, generally speaking, if I can ask three questions, I will almost always ask the three questions. Uh, I will never ask less than three. Which makes sense. And I think it comes down to what quizzes are expecting. Um, there's nothing invalid about writing just one or two, even if there are three potential situation questions to be asked. But I just think you want to think of the quizzers. If they're, if they're reading this verse and it's when nighttime came, Jesus looked to his disciples and said, they're expecting that to be a who said it, to whom and when. And you're throwing the quizzers a curveball if you write it with um, anything less than those three. Um, so then some other thing I see is um, quiz masters, or no, question writers get to decide how good of a situation question something is. Um, like if... If the answer is he said it and there's no clarification in context, it's probably not a good idea to write it as a who said it with the answer being he. Now, that's valid. You can do that. It's probably not the greatest. Similarly, um, there are many hows in narrative material that are asked, replied, and answered. And these are totally the way that the quotation was said. It's how it was said. But to me, they happen so many times um, that I don't like to write them. And added to that is if a quizzer says answered and it's actually replied, well, ideally the hows are different enough that if they give one, I would count them wrong for having given incorrect information so that they don't just get to cycle through a ton of different guesses. But if they said answered and it's replied, I'm not going to call them wrong, and they do get to cycle through those guesses. And whenever those sorts of situations occur, um, it kind of clues me as a question writer that this may not be the best written question. And so I don't like asking replied, answered, or asked as hows in a situation question because there are other hows that are kind of meatier, quote-unquote, like um, mocked him or shouted or got down, got down on his hands and knees and prayed. Um, and I love those hows, and I like it if I'm writing a how was it said, who said it and how, that there's a lot of meaning attached to that how that kind of clues the quizzer in. They're like, oh, this isn't one of those just random replied that appears 85 times in the material. It's, you know, shouted at them. Um, do you have thoughts, Griffin? Yeah, I very much agree. Uh, and this kind of also highlights the difference, again, between a question writer and a quiz master. And so, you know, for Scott and myself, we both write questions and we quiz master. So it's really two different mindsets, two different roles that we're doing. And we sort of have to govern ourselves in two very different ways because, you know, as a, as a quiz master, I am trying my best to not be interpretive 
at, at any level. Like, I want to go purely based on the words that are in the question, purely based on the words that are in the, in the scripture. Uh, no interpretation, no, hardly any meaning, uh, uh, behind those things. Uh, as I, I'm a theologian, I, I love teaching doctrine. I love studying doctrine. But when it comes to quiz mastering, all of that gets parked outside the room. There is no doctrine. There is no theology. There is no meaning. There is purely just data. There is the, the information on the card and the words in the scripture. But when I'm a question writer, it's, uh, I really have to go to the opposite way. I have to think about, well, you know, if I'm asking like one of these poor hows, like a reply or an answer, I have to be thinking to myself, is this meaningful? Is this, is, is technically it is how they answered, uh, or, or how it was said, it was answered, it was replied. But like, what's the point of, of knowing that? What's the value in the how versus like the example, uh, the examples that you were citing? Like he got down on his knees and prayed, or he lamented, or he cried and said, or something like that. Those things, adds some meaning and some value. And so, you know, from a mental sort of switch uh, case, I'm, I think, uh, you know, the, the writer has to care about those things, but the quiz master has to purely just go what, you know, what's on the card. Yep. I totally agree. And so I just try to put my, when I'm writing questions, I put, try to put myself in the shoes of a quizzer and say like, what am I expecting? And I don't think I'm expecting asked to be a how it does show up like be prepared for it as a quizzer. If you can quote the verse, it's going to be no problem. But I think there are better ways to write those questions as a question. So our next bit is implied wares. So in narrative material, um, like we're being told a story. And Jesus and the disciples and the chief priests, they're traveling around um, and doing stuff. And sometimes verse 1 will say, will say at dawn, on the first day of the week, um, Jesus went to his disciples and said. And then for that quotation, when was it said? At dawn, on the first day of the week. Like, that's a great when it's clear. But sometimes in verses 2 and following, other stuff will happen. And there may not be a clear, like, later that week, this happened. But there might be a then, or there might be a so, or something. But then there's another quotation in, say, verse 3. And you will see Quizmasters write that quotation from verse 3 with the when. At dawn, on the first day of the week. And it may be true. It, it, like, it might have been that those things happened at the same time. Um, but the further you get away from that verse one declaration of when it happened, the less likely I am as a question writer to write that as a when. So I said implied wheres, but we can just call this implied whens because um, they're kind of, they kind of appear the same way, the when and wheres. Um, and so I always just try to judge like how strong of a when or a where is this. Um, it doesn't need to be 100% explicit, you know, um, but the more implied that it gets, the less likely I am to write it as a question. Yeah, makes sense. Totally. Do, do, do. Um, and then I have a note from someone that I was talking to, like a verse says he spoke these things being Je- he being Jesus. He spoke these things while teaching in the temple court near the place where the offerings were put. And so a, a where was it said? teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put, that is implied in a sense, but you're going to see that asked as aware all the time. Um, this actually reminds me of a different different case. Sometimes, um, actually no, let's keep going on our topics because they're kind of ordered nicely. So the next one is implied to whom. So there are times where Peter might say, Peter asked Jesus um, something, something, something. 
Jesus said something, something. Now, for that quotation that Jesus said, some question writers will write that as who said it to whom, meaning to Jesus um, or to Peter. Now, it is very clear from the text that Peter asked this of Jesus. So when Jesus replied, it was to Peter. And so I think you will find cases of kind of an implied to whom where the text does not say Jesus said to Peter. Um, and it'll be asked as a situation question, and it'll be just fine. But then I think there are other times where it might say the disciples came to Jesus, and and um, and Thomas said, Jesus, what like what must I do to um, enter heaven or something? And Jesus replied, well, maybe he replied directly to Thomas um, or whoever, but there was more people there. And so saying it was to a single person um, might be a little bit assumptive. And so I think the question writers just just need to be careful because we don't want to force too much interpretation of the text on the quizzers. They should be able to very easily note, like if if the words that they are read um, um, ring something in their memory and puts them in a place in the material, they should just be able to quote it and be counted correct. But if they have to kind of figure out like what is meant by this question, like, oh, to whom was it said? I'm not really sure. It doesn't say to a certain group of people, but can I figure it out? Then you're kind of on the road to being a little bit loosey-goosey with that sort of question. And um, with both of these implied whens, wheres, and to whoms, there has been some discussion within the rules committee of, is this valid? Is this invalid? And I think it was generally decided that, yeah, they're valid. Question writers should take care when writing them because we want things to be clear and not tricky or misleading. Um, but we also knew that you couldn't really write a rule making them valid or invalid based on how explicit versus implied they are. That's not really a binary one versus zero, black versus white. It's it's kind of a gray area. And so there are many cases in question writing where discretion is given to the question writer saying – Hey, write something good. Write a question that's clear, has a reasonable amount of material, and is understandable by the quizzer, um, and test their knowledge of the material. Um, and there's a lot of latitude given there. And so I think this is just another one of those times. And there's so many good situation questions out there. I don't think you have to reach too much into these um, weak hows or the very implied whens or other sorts of constructs for situation questions. Sounds good. Well, should we uh, should we pause there and uh, pick it up uh, in next week's episode? I think that's a great stopping place because we definitely have more to talk about with situation questions. But I think we don't have enough to fill in another entire episode, which means the next episode will be kind of um, broken up between a few different topics, which is good. So if you're bored by situation questions, you'll still have a reason to listen. <laughs> Certainly. And of course, well, uh, if you happen to have any questions about anything that Scott or I have been uh, talking about in this or any preceding uh, podcast, we would like to be able to answer your questions. Or if you have any feedback or any uh, contrary thoughts or ideas, please email us at iq at cbqz.org. We very much like hearing from you and we like hearing uh, we, we even we say quite frequently that we lament not hearing enough disagreeing content. Uh, we would like to hear disagreements and differing points of view. We'd like to be challenged on anything that we've said. 
Uh, we'd like to uh, have the opportunity to clarify or even have our minds changed on things. So we very much want to hear from you. And, uh, you know, if you uh, write in a question, we will uh, we'll even say it on the air and answer it on the air and do all that usual kind of stuff that we usually do. So please email us, iq at cbqz.org. And you can follow us on Twitter uh, at Inside Quizzing. And if you follow at Inside Quizzing, there's a handful of other accounts there as well. Uh, Scott's, uh, I think uh, Inside Quizzing follows Scott and me and a few other accounts uh, uh, for CMA quizzing and other sorts of uh, Bible quizzing across uh the uh the planet so follow us uh, at inside quizzing and with that uh i will bid you all adieu and uh thank you scott and thank you everybody and i will see you next time thanks everyone happy listening and studying <laughs>